Before we start, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna do this video first. Keep us on here when I show the video, if you can. There, uh, I'm still the liquor. No. Guess what? I'm on top of the liquor. I am the monkey <laughs> in charge of bananas. What's my secret? This little device right here. I just take a little blow, and it tells me when it's time for a little top up. Because when I first got this, <laughs> I used to ride it around 0 0.20, which is fucking wasted. 24 seconds. Language, sir. Now, Language, sir. I leave it at 0 0.12, which is perfect. It's right in the fucking slot. Just God. pass the click. That wonderful moment. Just like Julian. I'm sober enough to know what I'm doing, and I'm drunk enough to really enjoy doing it. Say oh, every veteran ever. Look at that. Point one zero. <laughs> Time for a little drinky poo. Cheers, genitals. Gentle. Beautiful, beautiful. My friend actually sent that to me today, and I laughed my arse. By the way, I want to put it out there because I know Kevin will. He's being a medical professional. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> it is. See, it's poking fun. That's what we do. We poke fun at the dark oh, points of our lives. So I cannot tell you those who drink a little too much. I cannot tell you how many times I've either talked to. Oh, actually, there was one time I talked to a vodka bottle after my last deployment. Good lord! And my friend hid the bottle in a closet. So she took it from me, hid it, no, hid it, no, hid it in a closet room. And I'm I'm like hugging this thing. I'm talking to it. I'm petting it. It's it's how we it's how we train active duty personnel to take care of their mental yes. health. Drink and the it's dog, ridiculous. So come to find out, I went searching through the house, and apparently the dog barked at me and told me where it was because the dog was barking in one room, and I went and found it in the closet. So I made I don't know if you ever made this mistake when when we were flying again. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on this. So theoretically. Uh, alcohol used to be flown in from different parts of the world uh if you're drinking alcohol not from kevin in the mid not for me in the middle of the desert uh when it's 120 degrees I, there's no worse hangover than a alcohol i mean than a desert hangover it's i've been there done it's that brutally horrendous let's go through a nice little sandstorm nice that bit of powdery dust you step through and you're like not a big deal <gasps> As you inhale and drink at the same time, worst ever. The the older I get, and and I love whiskey. I mean, but I I do, and I I like whiskey the same way I like coffee. Right, it gets me through the work in your no, belly. No, it's like it's for you know if if you're not a coffee drinker, I get it. If you're not a whiskey drinker, I get it. But if you are, you get the nuances and it tastes good. And and the older I get, the more you add this whiskey is gonna, to your coffee. This is going to sound really strange. Hangovers impede my drinking does that make sense yeah, yeah because if you're hungover you can't continue to drink no, unless no, 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 you no, do no. hair of the dog no 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 what i'm what i'm getting at is i hate hangover so much like so much that i i can't like he was doing there and that's what made me think about it with his video i don't want to go past that point one zero or whatever it was i don't i can't and i i have never known anybody to go i want to hang over tomorrow yeah but it's see you're not 40 yet like I'm now there. I'm having a single glass of um, Metallica's whiskey. They're not a, and he's already hung over. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like my brain will say, "Oh, okay, you're gonna feel like shit tomorrow." And it's like, no matter what I do, I'm gonna wake up with that achy feeling, and it's it's horrible. My neighbor two weeks ago, he started. Uh, we went. It was a Saturday night, and I'm hanging out with some with, with them. You know, just you know, all the parents sitting around and enjoying a nice little drink. And he keeps sneaking up behind me and, and topping off my whiskey glass. Oh, and I rode my one wheel 
to this little gathering. So it comes to be like 1130 at night and I'm like, I gotta go home now. Mind you, there's a new puppy in my house. 5 a.m. I have that 5 a.m. I feel like I'm going to PT. Cuddling the dog and petting the dog. It was horrible. Horrible. Anyways, welcome to the 21 Gun Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, this is the official the official podcast of the Revenant Warriors, America's favorite scantily clad killers. Uh, 21 Gun was voted number one in the demographic of stay-at-home moms. This number is recently. One. It just came out. Uh, I'm not sure what that's all about. Could that's be, my fault. Could be our advice that we give all the time on raising toddlers. I'm not exactly sure. I, I think that's my fault. You know, you get the single dad, dad bod type stuff, and then you get the epic mustache of Kevin, and it just makes sense. Do you know what? Uh, during my alcohol rant there, I just, something dawned on me, and um, it was, so this is this is Hop's water. Um, I'm lagging for some reason, whatever. So Hop's water is just basically water that's been soaked in hops. So it kind of tastes like beer, but remember, I'm old and I'm falling apart, so I can't drink weed or anything like that, but I still can enjoy this. Now, let me tell you a a quick story, and then we'll move on. Uh, I was a young fella, probably will say 22 years old, and I was at the grocery store buying alcohol, and uh, my Spanish teacher comes walking in, and he's like, hey, I thought, check this out. I got this great non-alcoholic beer. And I'm like, oh, that's why, why would you do that? And in my head, I couldn't fathom the idea of why anyone would drink a non-alcoholic drink. Keep in mind, he's like my age now. Uh, well, fair. And now I totally get it. I want, I get it. I'm drinking hops water and I bought some non-alcoholic whiskey. Man, so you hopped on that little bandwagon, didn't you? Oh, I should kick you out of the studio uh, as we speak. Yeah, you get that. Oh, really? Oh, sorry, Willie. Uh, we don't have any hike coordinators coming on tonight, but we do have several uh, cool guests. We have Captain Whiskey Whiskey calling in soon. Whiskey is a former infantry officer with the U.S. Army. He is on today a little a little late because last week was the 68th anniversary of the Korean ceasefire. But I thought it would be cool to chat with him about ops in the DMZ back when it was cool, back in the 80s when they were still wearing the woodland camis. Actually, he showed me his... Um, uh, Please finish uh, that sentence. His His helmet. Thank you. Yeah, and it's like it's Vietnam era. I mean, it's the cool ones, not these stupid, the ones oh, that come down yeah, over our like ears. The, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got the cool Vietnam era ones. Uh, we also have two members of the Fort Bragg Survival Outreach Services coming on to talk about a cool memorial that they are working on uh, in the next few weeks. It's going to be set up over at Fort Bragg. They're going to get into more details, but we need your help. Reverend Warriors, we need your help. Um, they need your help. I need your help. We all need your help. Reverend Wars, this is what you guys do. This is what you do. Um, but yeah, we need your help, so stay tuned, and you will find out what we need your help with. Have we really been on for 12 minutes? Oh, no, we had the five-minute intro. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have a few hikes upon us, if you want to pull up number one. This week, we're back in North Carolina. I'm not going to say anything about it, but I would say the hub of Irreverent Warriors, probably the premier state for every hike and every irreverent warrior. If you haven't been to a hike in North Carolina, you're missing out because we are the best state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Shots fired. Shots screw fired. you, Tennessee. Screw you, Texas. Oh, Tennessee. Florida. Oh, my name's oh. Andrew Farrar. I have hikes. <laughs> oh. I bet you do have hikes, but so do we. We have seven. Don't we have seven? Seven. Seven hikes. How many How many does Tennessee have? Five. Oh, that's like minor leagues. Okay, I think it's six, but only five that matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Shots fired. Anyways, uh... Uh, in two days, Atlantic Beach. <laughs> Atlantic Speak. Beach. All right. It's it's a well-known fact that I cannot read. Okay. Let's just, are we done with that? Okay. Can we move on? Uh, <laughs> April, I mean, August 7th, see? April. August 7th, Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. August 14th, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Missouri, that's where, 
22 Sierra Coffee is from. They're from the Motown. I don't think that's what they call it, but Missouri looks like most. So if you ever want to support the Irreverent Warriors, head over to irreverentwarriors.com, hit the shop button, and buy yourself some. Hold on, let me take a sniff. <sighs> some dark humor coffee. Oh, where is it? Where is it? There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, anyways, they're in Missouri, so maybe maybe they will show up. In fact, I'm going to say he's probably going to be there. Patrick Little's a good guy, and I bet you he's going to be there. August 14th, also, oh my gosh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We're just, we're, I mean, what can I say? What can I say, Tennessee? Uh, August 21st, San Jose, California. Ooh, California. Uh, we need some, some coordinators to hop on, and uh, this is neither here nor there, but we haven't had anyone on from San Jose, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Quad Cities. Uh, we don't care about Raleigh. Be- Raleigh. Raleigh because... Um, I'm right here. Everybody's here. All right. <laughs> They're all within a stone's throw. Uh, August 21st, San Jose and Philadelphia. August 21st, Atlanta and Smyrna. Smyrna. That's an awful name. That's an awful... You have a terrible name for a town or it's city. It's a drunk way of saying Smirnoff with no F. It's, and it's horrible. Smirnoff. I don't even like to say it. Uh, maybe because I'm a PA and it sounds like something that I was forced to do for a long time. Just use your imagination. August 28th, Quad Cities, Iowa. Uh, completely opposite of Smyrna. The coolest name, I think, in, in all of Irreverent Warriors, Quad City. Oh, it just, just sounds cool. I thought you were going like to Raleigh. Sorry. Sounds like a 70s like ABBA type band. And then August 28th, 8th, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I got some family in town, but guess what? I'm still going to go to that hike. So you better. Uh, sorry, Aunt Susie. I'm sure you're watching because um, this show is in the demographic of uh, elderly boomers. Oh, no. <laughs> Next week, August 12th, we have Polly from Polly's Push coming on. Um, this is really cool. I just happened to find this guy uh, doing my this search. Guy. Yeah, doing my search of uh, uh, what's it called? Social media. He was a, what's the guy who, who gives out drinks and stuff? Girl, guy, person. Wouldn't know I'm banned. I'm banned on Facebook, so I don't know. No, no, the, the, on the airplane. Oh, the Stewardess? Stewardess, Stewardess or Stewart, I believe is the male version. Uh, he's honoring the, those who were killed on 9-11 by, put, this is crazy. Um, he's pushing a drink cart all the way from Boston, Logan Airport, I would assume. Ooh, with down, drinks. Down to ground zero. So that's, pr- I don't know what's going to be in it. Uh, I... He's an older guy. Pull up, <laughs> pull up the uh, Polly's push. I can't say that. There's too many P's. My daughter plays with Polly's pockets. So there's Polly's push. Scroll down. There he is. Hit play. Let's see what this guy's. He's a total mass hole. Mass hole. Mass. I'm not saying the other For one. five years, I've had it at the back of my mind. I knew what I was going to do. He sounds like the colonel from Generation Kill. Oh, yeah. Push a beverage cart from gate C-19 in Boston with 175 left on 9-11. From beverage that point cut. to ground zero in New York in memory of those crew members. That's, That's something to show about that. But That's isn't that awesome? I, I, that's so he's going to come really on just cool. like we had the guy who was on a kick scooter and he was going across California oh, or something yeah. like that. So he's going to hop on, let us know. Uh, then we're live on August 19th. Head over to, it's all over the interwebs at this point, but head over to, um, uh, what's it called? Revival 1869, August 19th at 7 p.m. If you're in the Raleigh area, August 19th, 7 p.m., just go to 21 Gun uh, Facebook page, Reverend Warriors. It's, it's posted everywhere. We'd love to see you guys uh, show up there. Um, we also have on August 26th, this one's pretty cool. Uh, we have a former Marine Raider named Don Tran. He and his SEAL buddy ran five miles, not a big deal, right? Ran five miles underwater with a 45 pound rock. And I don't know how they did it. Back and forth in a pool? Pull up number four. Uh, no, 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 no. Like out in the middle of the ocean. 
Uh, so all I consume is one was breathing. Oh, wow. Holy crap. They just held a rock and then ran. Yeah. Look, there's a video of it, I think. I think you're on number three. That's coffee or die. Pull up number four. No, he ran the 45-pound rock. Yeah, yeah. Pull up number four. Watch. Watch. You'll see. Watch. Nope. Uh, nope. That nope that's not, not it. Nope. You, this is the only one you gave me. Oh. No, I thought I had a video of it. No, anyway, sure so they're not. literally, scroll down, see if there's maybe a video here. There you go. That's what I was talking about. As far as I know, nobody's tried. Why am I hearing it? I think I'm hearing it on yours. rock underwater. Although it's extremely physical, it's huge mentally as well. So this is them training. Fast forward a little bit. That you'll actually see them running underwater. Keep going. Beautiful uh, cinematography, whoever did this. Look at that. Like, what? Oh, they even mapped it out, too. Oh, yeah, okay. So he's got a snorkel. He's going up, breathing, coming down, and running. I mean, that makes sense. The dude can't freaking... <laughs> they're not Aquaman. So this guy's going to come on. Dude, that's awesome. I'm really excited to talk about to talk to them. I feel so fat. Uh, moving right along. Yeah, I watched that. I'm like, hey, no one told me they filmed a video of me swimming underwater doing my rock carrying yeah, exercises. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. You got anything? Uh, no, just go to urbanwars.com when you need to. Or, uh, oh, God, neither of us can freaking talk today. Mm-mm. If you want to sign up for a hike at urbanwars.com, go to the events page. Click on the hike that you want to and register. Register Registration is free. There is also an option to donate as well. If you want to volunteer, your option to volunteer for hikes are there as well. Awesome. So let's bring up Survivor Outreach Services. Welcome to the show. Oh, we, we have one oh, more. I know. I'm. I just scroll down. There we go. We got uh, um, Elvia. Did I say it? Elvia or Elvia? Yeah. Where does? Where's the the? What's that called? The where's, inflection. Where's that accent? The, yeah. The, yeah. Elvia. Elvia. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like Elvia. All right. And uh, Charlotte Watson. So uh, let's first start with uh, Elvia. Just a, a quick introduction: who you are and and what your role is over at uh, Survival Outreach Services. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having us here. Uh, my name is Elvia Kelly, and I'm with the Fort Bragg Public Affairs Office, and we work closely with our Survivor Outreach Services here on the installation, and we are gearing up for the uh, Run, Honor, Remember boot display and run. So that's awesome. essentially it in a nutshell. We had we had a guy on a few weeks ago who was public relations for the Air Force. Yeah, and he had the coolest job we've ever seen. He basically gets to play fighter pilot for his entire career and just flies around with a camera. <laughs> gets to go to go. What was his name? Dude's like massive. Again, you're asking a dude with bad memory issues and TBI. He's massively huge on the social medias. Uh, Eckhart, Eckholm, Eckhart, Sam Eckhart. Part of, sure. He's part of the inspiration why I cut my hair because his hair was gorgeous. Yeah, he was like just all over this guy's hair. Like, man, you look immaculate. That's we all gotta, were. We yeah. all were. Yeah. Okay, let's bring up uh, uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, uh, introduce yourself if you would. Sure. I'm Charlotte Watson, and I am the program manager for the Bragg Survivor Outreach Services Program. Awesome. So, uh, I obviously you guys are civilians. I wasn't sure until. Oh, maybe you're not. Uh, are Are you both civilians? I'm civilian. Yes. Okay. How about Elvia? Yep. I'm also okay. a civilian. Okay. I wasn't sure when we were, I was using uh, like military lingo when I was talking to you, but I assume you work on Bragg, you know, military lingo, like there's no We're tomorrow. surrounded with all the acronyms. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's get into it. What is the mission of Survivor Outreach Services? And, and I guess the other question would be, what's the history of it? How long have you been around? So our mission is to serve our families of fallen active duty soldiers. Um, we advocate for them, provide them resources and referrals, and we're kind of like that go-to person when they don't know where to go. Um, so many years, even after the loss of their, their loved one, uh, there are things that they need help with or 
questions about with their medical coverage and things like that. And um, when the children start to get a certain age, they actually need assistance with education benefits and stuff like that. So we're, we're long term and we were established in October of 2008. Okay. Okay. So actually right after I got out of the, the, uh, the service, I was stationed down there. I was over at Pope. Okay. Um, it says on your page that the program strives to build a unified support program, which embraces and reassures survivors that they are continually linked to the army. Ah, I thought I was going to do it, Jeremy, to the army family, as long as they desire. There you go. Uh, I think that it's, I, I think this is an important statement because, uh, personally, I never lost anyone in the military. And I mean, I lost some, some friends, but I, Wait, how do I say? No one in the military, whatever. Uh, I'm wondering, so this is something looking at your your information is something I never considered. It's the fact that if a service member dies, the Army doesn't, the Army c continues to keep a relationship with these people, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And, and, and what type of services? So like, let's say, uh, um, I'm a spouse and my, my, uh, uh military spouse dies. Um, it, like what, what, I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, how long can, let's say they live on base. How long can they stay on base? How long do they get medical care? Do they, uh, and do you guys help arrange all these, these, um, various moving parts? We absolutely do. We, uh, help with the part. Um, as far as staying on base, East installation is a little bit different. Um, so I, I, I really don't want to speak for that. Sure. Um, long term, we're, we're with the family for as long as they need our assistance, as long as they want to be a part of the program. Um, resources, referrals, uh, you, you talked about medical. Um, for a spouse, it's indefinite unless they remarry. Um, for children, it is up to the age of 21 or 23 if they're in college full time. I didn't realize that. That's actually really good. I knew about that. Yep. Yeah. So if something happens, they're still covered. Because yeah, I mean, it's a that's that's you know, I, I guess the point is no one really wants to think about that, but it's something you have to think about. Uh, is this for combat and non-combat related casualties? Yeah, we serve all families of active duty uh, soldiers. Yep. Okay. It doesn't matter how they passed away. Okay. Uh, can you tell us about the boot? So this is the part that we're we're. Uh, uh, looking for the Reverend Warriors to help out on. Sure. Can you tell us about the Boot um, Memorial and, and you know, everything about that, I guess? Sure. So back in 2014, um, along with the Gold Star Mom, we kind of tried to figure out what we could do in May. And uh, it, it morphed into the Run, on and Remember. And we have over 7,500 boots on Hedrick Stadium, the field. Uh, and it represents... Uh, every branch of service, soldiers, airmen, Marines, and uh, seamen that have died since 9-11 um, to the end of June, 2021. Okay. So, yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's pretty impressive, it's pretty massive. Um, it, all, all combat deaths and those that died in the Pentagon, as well as family members or soldiers that were assigned to Fort Bragg and, and the families provided us with the information. Okay, okay. Um, now there's been 7,500 uh, deaths, but 1,000 boots. Is it like multiple soldiers per boot or how does that work out? No, so we actually had all the boots. Um, but the last few years we've had some some extreme weather and the boots have disintegrated um yeah mold on some of them and the heels dry rotted on some of the others so we went through our our inventory and 
threw them away, and that's why we're asking for some more boots. I need about a thousand pair. Oh, I got it now. Okay, that makes sense. So you're short about a thousand boots. Correct. Correct. Okay. Now, is is it like um, what do we call that? The soldiers. Um, uh, Jeremy, I'm drawing a blank here. The soldiers. Uh, grave no what's it called soldier's cross yeah soldier's cross yes. uh is it like a soldier's cross or, or is it each you know you got a set of boots for each person so it's one boot per okay. service member and that boot will have a tag with the branch of service okay um their rank their name first and last the unit that they served in when they died and then their date of death okay uh, that has to be a really Jeremy. Can you bring up the the picture they they've had? Um, yeah, I think it was on the Fayetteville Observer. I could be wrong. Uh, there we go. So this this must be obviously uh, uh, previous years. When when does it start? When do you guys um, launch this? So so we actually set the boots up Friday, August twenty seventh, and the run on our oh okay is August twenty eighth. Okay. Um, so in a few weeks, uh, can you pull up the other one? I think Survivor Outreach Service. Yeah, look at that. That's got it too. Do other bases do this or is it just something that you guys kind of came up with? I, I do believe a couple other installations uh, do do this. I know for a fact Fort Campbell does. Okay. Camp Lejeune does it too. Yeah. It, it, and it's so, uh, you know, I, I hear this a lot. I hear this. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, Sometimes it comes down to this is non this is a non political statement, but people who are not in the military will talk about uh, things that only the military understand. Yeah, and and they'll say, well, it's not as bad as you know the, the war on terror wasn't as bad as Iraq. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Vietnam or wasn't as bad as World War II. And then you're like, I don't know, seven thousand five hundred people is a lot of people. And then when you when you show something like this, it actually puts it into perspective. You go. Wow, that's a lot of boots to fill. That's so. I, I think, I think honestly, as as an Iraq veteran myself, an Afghanistan veteran, and a Horn Africa veteran, and whatever else we were involved in, um, seeing something like this is is it, it it puts it into perspective for that case. You know, for that that idea that okay, there was four hundred thousand that died in World War II, but that doesn't. Yeah, something I I often say is for that one family that loses somebody, that is D Day for them. Right. The numbers don't yeah. matter for the individual family. That's what matters. And um, do you have any families of, of fallen soldiers that actually come out and look at this? Oh, my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, the majority that live in our community are out there. Um, some run, some walk, some just kind of come and visit. And it, it's it's a memorial. It's a tribute to their loved one. And battle buddies are there as well. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go down with my kids. We're gonna. We're, that's yeah. it. We're taking a trip down. Can um, can civilians get onto Fort Bragg to see this this uh, memorial? I'll oh. take it. <laughs> I'll take it, Charlotte. <laughs> yes. Um, anybody who has access to the installation DOD ID card holders, um, and their guests can come on, as well as somebody who can go to the All American X um, Visitor Center and get a access badge. Uh, badge can also go and and participate in not only the run honor remember run but also take a look at the uh the boot display okay so like if i am a like i'm a retiree so i can get on but if i'm a non-retiree marine and i want to get on i can just go to you said what was the name of the the place it's at the all-american visitor control center okay and i can get a pass and go over and see that Mm -hmm. So that's yes, essentially being a sponsor for somebody, correct? Yep, they'll just have to go into the building. Uh, it's on the All-American um, Expressway, 
and the building will be located on the left-hand side. So we'll just have to uh, park in the in the parking lot, go inside the building, and then the security guards and the team will help guide them through the process to get an access badge. Um, I'm okay. sorry, a visitor pass. Sure. Uh, and most importantly, how can we get our boots? So I have a pair of boots. Now, here's the thing. I have a pair of boots that it's like a, a posterity thing. Like I, I wore them overseas here. This is weird. This is really weird. I wear a size 11 shoe now, but in the military I wore size 10. Oh, that's a, that's a thing across all branches. I have, I have, I tried to put my boots I've, on that I wore and they don't fit anymore. I have boots. Whenever they go to boot camp, they're like, ah, it's a roundabout. And it's, ah, but I swear you they can used put to your fit. foot in it. Mm. Someone told me leather shrinks. So or maybe your that could be it. Feet got fat because you're old. Well, yeah, that means. But I would think wide wise instead of lengthwise. Anyways, the point I'm making <laughs> is I have a pair of boots that are are I wore in a combat. And I think they're really, um, you know, one of those things I want to just want to hold on to. But in the same sense, they're not doing me any good. So I would like to donate them. How do I do? I have to drive them down to you. Can I put them in a box and and put an address on there? How do we donate our boots to you? You could do both. You could okay. bring them to Fort Bragg if you're local, um, the Soldier Support Center. Or our facility, um, and if you would like to mail them, I can. You can call and get our address. Our um, office number is nine one zero three nine six zero three eight four. Did you get that, Jeremy? Three nine six zero three eight four. Okay, ready? Check this out. Check out this technology, and boom! I thought it was going to come up. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a sec- it takes a second to load. There it is. Into the chat. So, yeah, uh, I know a lot of you guys have boots. We go through boots like crazy. Um, they can be any boots, right? Like if they're my old flight boots, will you guys take those? Any military service boot, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I don't care about my flight boots. So Air Force was the military? I didn't realize it was. that. It was a military branch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, ladies, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I think this is a great thing you're doing. It's a great service. I didn't know anything about it, only because I, I got out a year before uh, you guys came into existence. But um, I think this is a, a, an amazing program, and it's it's something that, you know, I guess we don't like to think about, but it's important for someone to think about the families that uh, are left behind. And uh, irreverent warriors, show some love. Uh, you know, I, we don't have a memorial yet, do we? We don't have like a Vietnam Wall or. I don't think so. No. I do know we have a large outreach in Fayetteville just for IW huge, alone. So huge. So uh, put it out to them. Irreverent warriors, get your boots to these um, fine people, and uh, hopefully, we'll get you to the number that you're looking for. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks awesome. for having us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you both. Have a good night. Me too. So whenever um, important people come on, I try not to be a goofball. <laughs> well, yeah, because they're, they're more important than us. So they're like, so, like it's an important mission. It is. And you're like, don't be a jerk. Don't, don't ruin it. They're getting the mission out. Because if we have if we have like, I don't know, if we have someone from grunt style on, then it's like a complete meltdown of all civility oh you mean dan dan from grunt style <laughs> yes dan from grunt style he is as as gorgeous a man in person as he is on tv and if you want to see him in person he will be at atlantic beach so be will he really He's yes he sure again? will he sure will good for that gentleman um all right He's moving a- right along let me look here what time is it it 8 is 28 28 let's um oh, i got some great things okay hold on I want to bring up something, but I also want to get Wally. Ah, (laughs) That's my nickname. Yes. Waldo. Oh, (laughs) Willie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I also want to get Captain Whiskey Whiskey on. 
Oh, you dumbass! I'm, I'm already here. Well, everybody knows. Everybody knows my nickname is Waldo, and then those I know. I'm just with... laughing at myself. Um, let's well, bring on. Let's bring on uh, whiskey. Whiskey. You know, forget about news around the AOR. Uh, we'll bring him on. Oh. Hey. Oh, we got it. We do have. Hey, him in audio, how's so. it going, brother? I'm here. Uh, uh, I don't. Did you pick up on any of that? Hopefully I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing yeah, you did. Your whole show. It's fun. No big deal. Okay. He's like Call you're such Waldo. a dick. Call me Waldo. Okay, Waldo, perfect. Where's Waldo? We don't know. That's the whole thing. Wally, ah, god damn it. It's fucking criminies. Now you've killed me. (laughs) I can't help it. Uh, uh, Waldo. (laughs) Waldo is calling in. He's our first call-in ever um, because we're keeping anonymity, but that might not even be his real name. Whiskey, whiskey. Anyways, so whiskey, uh, you told me a lot about your time in Korea, uh, and, and I hate, listen, I really yeah. hate talking to people. I hate talking to people before they get on the show because it's hard to get those stories back, but we're going to do our best because you got some really uh, interesting stories, mainly because Korea is one of those things where we know it's a tinderbox. Uh, we Everybody, know it forgets it. Everybody forgets yeah, everyone it. For- yeah, well, they kind of forget that, well, you had World War II, and then Korea kicked off, and it's like, I mean, in less time, there was like 50-some-odd thousand people killed there. It was only a couple years. I mean, it was a brutal, cold, vicious, terrible war, and for some, let's do, let's start with that. Why do you and think- And it never ended. And it never ended. Why do you think history has kind of relegated it to the back burner versus something like you, you can anyone can talk about Vietnam. Anyone can talk about the bridge at Remagen. Anyone can talk about any of that stuff. But how many people know about the Frozen Chosen or the uh, landings at Incheon? You know what I mean? Why, why do you think that is? Or, or uh, Porkchop Hill, you know, Porkchop all Hill kinds either. of battles there. I mean, there were brutal, brutal battles there. And I don't know. Everybody just seems to have forgotten that whole era for some odd reason. Yet it, there were so many soldiers that did so many brave things, airmen, soldiers, Marines, sailors. I mean, it's sad that they've forgotten it. And then, you know, in 1953, it, they had an armistice, but it really never ended because they established this, this brutal long uh, border, the demilitarized zone that's armed to the teeth for 146 miles long. And, and back in the 60s, I think they had what they called the second mini Korean War, where there was all kinds of combat going on up on the demilitarized zone. And, you know, over the years, there's been little spats here and there. But, uh, you know, and then when I arrived there in the 80s, you know, we, we were doing ambush and reconnaissance patrols, manning guard posts. So it was sort of like I called it John Wayne land. It was sort of like uh, it was real what you were doing. You know, we weren't getting shot at or anything like that but you know we were going out locked and loaded every day doing things but uh it just nobody really cared about it and also it's kind of uh that area is kind of well secure from the press and everybody so it's just it's just part of life people forget certain things you know other wars we've had you know people don't really think about the, the you know, the uh, War of 1812 that much. We don't think about the Spanish-American War all that much. Just, I guess they weren't the cool ones. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's that's a, a weird phenomena. Um, and maybe maybe it has something to do. Well, no, because we had kind of a, a loss in right. Vietnam. I was going to say, maybe it's because of the stalemate and we didn't just crush North Korea. I, I have no idea, but I think it's strange. The other thing, too, is that you're right. It, it never ended. And we still, I mean, being a... Uh, when I was in active duty, our unit, I don't know, this might be 
this might be classified. Uh, let's just say there were units that were ready. They were always on a certain level of alert in case Korea kicked off. And I assume, do you know what? My unit's gone. So I assume I can talk about it. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. That's yeah. Off, That's always been that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, before we get more into Korea, I want to talk about a little bit of your background. I like, I like, I like hearing about, uh, people's motivations and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. what were your motivations to join the military back in the eighties? And, and I love this question for, for okay. your generation because Vietnam was still very much on the minds of people. I mean, it was only a decade prior. So uh -huh. what were your motivations and did that did the, the what happened in Vietnam and with those veterans that play any sort of role or any concern for you when you when you uh, eventually joined? Yeah, so to answer this, I'm going to actually go back to my life in a weird way. You know, I was my dad's a retired army officer, and I was born in an army hospital. So I grew up during the Vietnam era on military posts, and I saw my dad go off to war. You know, like other kids now are seeing their dads going off to war. I watched my dad go off. Uh, to Vietnam, and, and I knew where he was going and so forth, and, and you know, you knew it wasn't a good place, but uh, and then they came back, and then, you know, you, you saw the Army change uh, in, in the early 70s. It was a, the Army was a shell. It was a broken down, broken shell. I mean, it was, it was bad, and, you know, from the 70s until about 1980, 81, you know, that about 881 is when it started turning around. Right? And I would, I, you know, that's part of like when President Reagan came in and, you know, the country got out of its malaise in a way and people were starting to, uh, you know, change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Vietnam was always there because, you know, when I was a cadet in college, you know, all our instructors were Vietnam veterans. Okay. And, and uh, you know, when I was a brand new lieutenant, you know, all the senior NCOs, like uh, Sergeant First Class and above, and all the some majors, but mostly Lieutenant Colonels and above, they were all Vietnam veterans. So it was still very much alive there. But, you know, my dad, you know, the, the fact that my dad was in the Army, and uh, and my dad's the coolest dude in the world to me. I just, I, just everything he does is right. And so watching him as a soldier i always thought well that that you know if he did that that's got to be the greatest thing in the world i want to be a soldier and there was no other profession i ever thought about growing up other than being in the military being a soldier you know you always have fantasies about like being like john wayne sergeant striker in the sands of iwo jima the marines and things like that but it was always the military it was always the military and the 80s you know, 80s were kind of a happy period in a weird way. And, you know, ROTC on campus started growing. It was huge, actually, again. Um, it was so big that, you know, by the time I was commissioned, they you, you were held back months before you actually went on active duty because uh, there was a lot of people. I mean, we, the Army was much, much bigger than it is now. I mean, it, there were close to a million just in the active army, we had what 18 combat divisions back then, and now what do we have nine? Um, so it was a huge thing, and and so you know, I, I always love nowadays. I, I love hearing guys of your generation, and and, I, and, and it makes brings a tear to my eye when, they, when I hear, you know, I, I joined because of 9/11, and our country was attacked, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. But you know, when I did it. It was it was not because of anything like that. I did it because. You know, I came from that. It was my family's business in a weird way. And, 
And I always knew the country always needed to be protected, always needed to have a a professional military force. So for me, it it was a no-brainer. I wanted to be like my dad, not in the artillery like he was, but, uh, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I wanted to be a soldier. And so that motivated me to do it is, you know, my big family connection. I think that happens to a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. I would say family is probably the number one motivator just from my almost 200 interviews now with, with various veterans this is the number one thing with, with the number of veterans declining, meaning, um, I, the, the services are, don't need as many people. Um, and it doesn't seem to be like it was say, I mean, you look in the past, every president was, was in the military. Everybody was in the military and it was a family tradition. Now it seems to be like, where did you screw up to have to go to the military? And, and, I think that's a, de- a detriment to the country in a in a in a big way because you're missing that almost bloodline of service that used to be just prevalent and it didn't matter. You could be a working class individual, you could be a, a Roosevelt, right? You still made it into the military, and I feel like I feel like slowly that's disappearing. Maybe it's coming back. I don't know. We'll we'll see. What's what's interesting, uh, whiskey. I <laughs> said your name again. What's interesting it's is that right. we get we we get to witness a changing of the guard almost. Right. The the forever wars are are coming to an end. If not, we can say they've they've ended, and now we get to see what another generation of individuals is going to bring to the table. And, and I'm interested, I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely interested as now being one of the old guys to see what happens, see where this comes. What, what are your thoughts as far as where the post 9-11 world, not even the post GWAT, the post- uh, I had a, a person, uh, I, I had a, a lady that I worked with uh, send me a message telling me her son uh, just got a ROTC scholarship to go to college. and. And, you know, the, th- the thought that entered my mind was, I said, you know what, thank your son for picking up that guide nod and moving it forward. You know, because it, it makes my heart feel good that there's young people out there uh, that want to do that. They want to pick that guide on up. They want to carry it forward and, and, and protect the nation. And, and I, I, I think sometimes a lot of the young people short. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of heart out there and they want to do the right things. They want to do good things. Um, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, would you, you know, would you do it again? I said, yeah, I'd do it again. I, I'd probably go in the Navy because I, I, I kind of think the Navy's cool. <laughs> Not sleeping in the mud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I come, uh, what's funny is I, I come from a long but, uh, line of na- Naval yeah. officers. And I, I don't, yeah, I, <laughs> that's funny. Sorry, I, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really love when these, these, no, no, I just love when these young, young kids are doing this stuff and it makes my heart feel really good. Uh, you know, I, I don't always think of myself as that old, but I guess, you know, I'll be 58 this year. And, you know, I, even if I was still a, a you know, if I hadn't gotten hurt and medically retired, I, I, I probably would have been out already anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, my days were, were over and it's really a short, you know, it's a, it's a blink of an eye. When you think, I mean, I, I can, to this day, uh, it seems like yesterday when I was commissioned and I was commissioned in a weird way, I was actually wearing a, a bathing suit and a button down shirt when I got commissioned, which is an odd thing because <laughs> you probably had a nice <laughs> uniform on at your ceremony. Oh yeah. 
but mine was all messed up. You know, I was a I was a end camp commissioning uh, after I graduated from college, and I went to camp after uh, school, and I was supposed to get commissioned at the end. And somehow my college messed up some paperwork, and he's out. Can't do it right now. It, it may take a few more weeks. But my dad, he walked into the you know, back then. The, the camp was at Fort Bragg. It was Camp All American for the ROTC summer camp. He went in there and said, you know, and I was like, there's no hope. You know, it's going to be weeks, whatever. And I was pissed off at the world. And you know, and then we were getting ready to go home. And he came back out and said, get out of the car, Lieutenant. I went, what are you talking about? He said, get out of that car. He said, and then he had one of the D, uh, Department of the Army civilians there with all the paperwork, and and my dad commissioned me. My mom took a picture of it. And I'm in a button-down shirt and a old OP bathing suit, bathing trunks, you know, raising oh, nice. my right hand, and my dad's <laughs> my dad's wearing me in. It's like you know, it just unbelievable. I bet I'm the only guy in the world that ever got commissioned in his bathing trunks uh, in a parking lot at Fort Bragg. Jealous. I wish I could have done that. Hey, you're about to be a Marine. What do you want to be in? Board shorts and a tank top. Yeah, I was wearing my shiny blues, my shiny Air Force blues. Um, so uh, let's talk about that real quick, but I, I, I also want to get into Korea. But why why the Citadel? Why'd you, uh, oh, yeah. like VMI or yeah, West Point yeah, or Norwich or Texas A&M? Okay. Uh, so, so my dad went to West Point and, uh, you know, I wanted to go to West Point, but uh, my, my, I'm just not quite as smart as my dad. <laughs> yeah, my dad, as I talked about it, cool guy. He was uh, he he enlisted in the army. In what he was an orphan, and he grew up in uh, in um, foster homes and things of that nature. And he saw West Point on a track beat when he was in high school, and he thought, "I'm going to go there." And he applied. And he didn't get accepted at first. Didn't get an appointment, so he joined the army. His thought was, and it was 1951. The Korean War was going on. He's like, "I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to win the Medal of Honor, and they're going to send me to West Point." Well, it didn't work out that way. He joined the army and he took a lot of tests. They, he, he was off the chart smart. And so they kept sending him to schools everywhere. Eventually, uh, he, he applied and uh, got a regular army appointment to West Point. He went to the prep school first. And then uh, he went to West Point. He'd already been in the army for a couple of years by then as an enlisted soldier. And he was wearing the old Ike jacket. That's back in the early 50s. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he had brown shoes, like jacket, and everything, and and, uh, and he went to West Point, and uh, he eventually graduated and was commissioned to. Back in his day, it was uh, field artillery and air defense artillery were the same branch, um, and they went to both basic courses, and then uh, and then he was ADA as a lieutenant, and he was field artillery as a battery commander, as a captain, and then and when he was a major, they split him back up again, but. Yeah, so he went to West Point, and so did my uncle, who my dad and my uncle married two sisters. That's how he's my uncle. And they went there, but I wasn't quite so smart. And I'm from Virginia. Yeah, I thought about BMI, applied there. Um, but then I went on a, a visiting weekend down to the Citadel. Uh, they, they do a pre knob weekend where you can go visit and they take you around. And Charleston, I thought I'll just say Charleston sold me. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it's beautiful I'm coming down there. here. And so, yeah, Charleston was just. And so uh, I, I chose the Citadel. I wanted to go to a military college. I, I really needed to because had I gone to a regular normal college, I, I don't think I would have made it past the first semester. Um, it was not that disciplined uh, as a young man. Yeah. So the, the, having me locked up was probably the, the best thing for me. 
And uh, so, you know, that's what I went to. But I was not a very good cadet. I was a very bad cadet. I I walked over 100 punishment tours while I was there. <laughs> I, oh, I never yeah. got ranked. I mean, I was a bad guy. I was just, I just, my priorities were uh, uh, living for Friday night and Saturday night mm. when they oh, released yeah. us. I know all and, about that. Uh, I know some people like that. And not thinking <laughs> about the other things. Sure. Yeah. Hey, so, we, you know, so that, that's kind of what it was all about for me. We've never had an army infantry Hello? officer on the, sh- uh, on the show. Uh, tell us about life as a butter bar in the world of the infantry. Ah. I'm not going to yeah, say yeah, there's yeah. hazing, but what do, and no, do no, LTs really not. suck at land nav? All right. So I'll say this right up front. I did not, I'll say it again. I did not <laughs> suck at land nav. I was actually really good. As a matter of fact, when I left Korea, that's what I said at my farewell. I said, the one thing I'm proudest of is I never got my soldiers lost. I was actually <laughs> really, really good at land navigation. But notoriously, uh, second lieutenants are pretty bad at a lot of things. Um, you know, I look back at my time as a second lieutenant and as a, my age now, and I, I want to cringe at some of the decisions or things I did. You know, you know, here I, I look at pictures of myself now. I'm like, God, you're a little boy. What the hell? But, uh, yeah. you know, it, there was no hazing or anything like that. It's more like, you know, especially in the battalion I was in in Korea, it, that was that was because of our mission. It was almost a sink or swim type of environment. You either you either did well and excelled or, or they kind of your career was over with there. It was. I remember my company commander used to say, you know, this is a bad place to send brand new second lieutenants because they get destroyed or they do well. There's no in between there. And I did quite well there. Um, but uh, if you go, and, and I will attribute this. I will say this in second lieutenant. I had the greatest platoon sergeant in the world. Hey, now, I was 5'9". I'm 5'7". Now, after I broke my neck, I lost two inches. But I'm 5'9". I was 5'9". And my platoon sergeant, I'll call him Big Joe. He was six foot ten, and uh, what a wonderful guy! Uh, just he taught me everything there was to know about soldiering because I listened. Now, yeah, I don't say like he didn't make all the decisions. I made the decisions, and that was clear. I was the platoon leader. I made the decisions, but I counseled with him. I talked with him. I, I you know, I, I listened to his advice. And he was straight up with me and he saw that I was straight up with him and, and I was serious about what I was doing. So, you know, he decided I'm, I'm going to make sure this guy's successful. Yeah. And, you know, one of the proudest moments of me was my first officer efficiency report. I did really, really well. And he saw it. He's like, let me have that lieutenant. And he, he went up to headquarters and he made a copy of it, went to the supply room and uh, got a frame. And I said, what are you doing, Sarge? And he just said, I'm putting this on my door and he nailed it up to the front of his hooch door. And he said, I want all the other platoon sergeants to see I trained the best platoon leader in the battalion. Nice. It struck me then, struck me then as a, as a second lieutenant that what I do actually matters to a lot of other people. I have 44 soldiers in my platoon. And and it, what it's not about me. And that's where I really grew up was that almost that day was like, he showed me that what I do mattered to a lot of other people and that, you know, 
he he was so proud of that. It's almost like a father son kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it it struck home to me. But yeah, you're right. There are lieutenants out there that yeah they they can they can do some odd things. I, I had a couple <laughs> of my own when I was a company commander. Uh, uh, that I used to just scratch my head and think. Yeah. What the well, hell? There's, yeah. There's no, yeah. There's but, nothing. Uh, no, there was no hazing or anything like that. There's nothing like more like I remember when I got my butter bars and I was like, wow, this is it. I'm an officer in the U.S. military. Freaking great. And then I went to my first assignment and I was a student, which you get hazed and whatever you get as a student. It's, I mean, you just expect it. But then you get to your first assignment where there's like legit operations going on. And you're, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm nobody. <laughs> I am. I, everything I learned is now gone and now I have to learn how to do it in the real world. It's completely different, yeah. different, uh, uh, oh, levels is. of existence from, from, uh, infantry officer to flight officer, but still, yeah, it's a big wake up and it's not really, it's not until you get that, that second year, uh, first Lieutenant or the captain where you find that stink is gone and they, they give you a little respect. They're like, okay, he's not a butter bar. He's, oh yeah. He, he perhaps has done yeah, Absolutely. And I, I would even say that, you know, when you go to your schools or your basic courses and all that kind of crap, you learn all that stuff. It does what it does. And it's just, you know, it's, they teach you the fundamentals, but there's nothing like when you're actually like what you just said, when you're standing in front of the real deal, the real troops, the real people, and they've been doing this for a while. Um, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, Oh, um, God, uh, I, this isn't school. This isn't the schoolhouse anymore. Yeah. My decisions oh, are yeah. going to really matter here. And, and so, you know, school day, you know, and that's one of the things is why I picked Korea, you know, you know, I picked the infantry for a reason. You know, it's funny when you go back when I was at, at the Citadel, you know, and you, and you have the wish list, they give you 10 slots and say, um, you got to pick your branch and they say, you got to pick so many combat arms, combat support, combat service support. Well, I wrote infantry 10 times. Anyway, and no, you, you, you gotta, you gotta put, pick other branches. I said, but that's the only one I want. Sure. You know, I don't want any other ones. Maybe. Thanks. I'll take that. But, uh, they said, no, so I put infantry armor, artillery and on down. I don't know what they all ended up being, but it's like, oh, if I don't get infantry, I, that's what I wanted to be. I, you know, to me, that was the, the real military was being the infantry. And, and then I went to camp that summer. Like I said, I graduated from the Citadel and I was an end of camp commissioning. And, and while I was at camp, we did branch days. And I saw the, uh, uh, we did the artillery. And uh, I thought, oh, my dad was artillery. And, and they, were, they, they started me off in, in the FSO, the FO place, the forward observer. That was really cool, calling in the artillery and doing all that. I thought, that's pretty cool. And then they went over. And then we went over to the guns and we shot the guns, cut the charges and all that stuff, firing the gun. I was like, man, this really isn't so bad. I kind of like this. And then they walked us over to the uh, fire direction center, and I went, oh hell no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> There's all these whiz bang charts and mathematics, and I was like, no. Oh, yeah. I had a weird feeling. I said, you know, really, this is probably where we spend most of our time. I want nothing to do with this stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and that's the other we, thing they, they teach at the schoolhouse. You know, you always think you're gonna be it. Go ahead. Mm-mm. No, there's a little bit of a delay, but you you go ahead. Oh yeah. So um, 
you know, at the schoolhouse, you always think you're going to, you know, you're going to be that uh, door kicking guy the whole time. The truth is you're not. And, you know, one of the things they don't prepare you for is being a staff officer. Um, yes. You know, as an officer, charge, you don't yeah. think about this when you're a cadet and everything. And you don't, you, you never think about it, but most of your time is going to be as a staff officer. And uh, your time with the troops is limited and precious. I mean, most of it's as a lieutenant captain. And, you know, I was lucky, and I got to be a platoon leader and a company XO up on the demilitarized zone, which is. I know you want to talk about that and the tiger. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into know, that. We can go there. So yeah, okay. All right. So uh, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we'll we'll just start off with the basics. So you find out you're going to Korea. Uh, tell us how long that was and what goes through your mind. Are you like, ah, oh, shit, I got to go to so, Korea? You're like, yeah, let's get oh, some, no. let's play with some claymores. Uh, let's let's go live here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So here's the deal. Back in the '80s. Uh, that was the only show in town. I mean, that was the only place where the army was actually going out on patrols, you know, with live ammunition. No, I mean, there were no big firefights or anything like that, but you were actually going out and doing missions, uh, ambush and reconnaissance missions and manning guard posts and stuff like that. That was it. So I said, I'm going to go to Korea. My dad said, yeah, that's the place to want to be a soldier. You're going to learn a lot of soldiering there. So I actually picked Korea. I wanted to go there, and in many ways it was a good decision, in many ways it was a bad decision, because a forward deployed unit is, is much different than a CONUS, a, a CONUS United States unit, how we conduct things over there, because our battalion was all by itself up north of the Imogen River, so we were very isolated, and <clears throat> we did things a lot differently than I would say you would have done things at Fort Hood or Fort Bragg or you know Fort Riley or things of that nature. Uh, how you conducted your, it, it was just a different world. But, but anyway, I, I went to Korea and, you know, I landed there in the middle of the night, in my class A uniforms, because back then when you went overseas, you went over in your class A's. And uh, they took us to Yongsong compound <clears throat> in Seoul, 8th Army. And uh, that was the beginning of your processing. But we were there so late, they took us to a hotel. Uh, and I stayed at, I think it was called the, I think it was called the Mammoth Hotel in downtown Seoul. And, I takes my bag up to the room because I was a lieutenant. I got the hotel room by myself and uh, I couldn't figure out how to turn the lights on at all. I had to use the little mini refrigerator light all night. I didn't know where the switches were or anything. It was weird. And so I just went to bed. The next day, the guy comes back in. He, well, the key was on this long bar and he sticks it in the slot and the lights all came on. I had no idea. I said, okay, so I'm definitely in another country. And, and so then they picked us up I'm in my BDUs, you know, the old woodland camo. They take us over there to Yongsan compound. They start the in-processing. And then they saw, okay, you're going to 2nd Infantry Division. Roger that. And so they put me on the bus to the 2nd Infantry Division. And then at the 2nd Infantry Division, they have what's called the Turtle Farm. And, and it's in-processing, out-processing uh, facility. It's like a camp within the camp on Camp Casey at the time. And so it, they call it the turtle farm because it takes you a year to get from the in-processing to the out-processing uh, <laughs> tent. I said longer than a year. So it took, I was a real slow, long dead turtle. But so I get there and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm here. I'm looking I'm looking through the fence, looking at all the stuff going on. I'm like, man, this is so cool. You know, vehicles are doing stuff. People are doing things. I'm like this, I'm really here. I'm in the Army. And I get a call. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's oh, Lieutenant Ward, you got a call from a Captain Zeman, or I'm not gonna say his name. Captain will tell you, Hi, I'm Captain So and So, I'm from Resource Management. Um, we're gonna come pick you up in about 15 minutes. I said, What do you mean, Resource Management, sir? He said, uh, you're, You've been assigned to us. I said, What is Resource Management? You know, what do you mean, what is Resource Management? I said, Sir, I'll do respect. What's a resource? Well, you're a finance officer. I said, no, sir, I'm an infantry lieutenant. So, no, no, <laughs> it was supposed to be a finance lieutenant coming in today. And they said a second lieutenant was there and we're coming to get you. I said, sir, I'm I, I'm not a finance. He said, okay, says, I'll call you back in five minutes. He calls me back. Lieutenant Ward, did you take math in college? I said, yes, sir, but you don't want me. I'm telling you, this is not for me. So we don't have a choice. We have to come get you. You've been assigned to us. I'm like, oh, my God. I just got here. My brand new signal. My career's over with. It's done. <laughs> and they're taking me to resource management. I don't even know what the heck that is. They bring me over there. So I'm there. And the colonel, head of resource management, he's old infantry uh, lieutenant colonel, but he's doing this as a secondary. Say, so, yeah, we made a mistake, lieutenant. We're going to clear this up for you. We're going to give you a project for about a month and we'll get you back to, we'll get you to an infantry battalion. So in the meantime, I was there and they did the hail and farewell welcome me there and the division commander because it's division staff. So we want to welcome Lieutenant Ward from the infantry school. He goes, where are you, Lieutenant Ward? I said, I'm right here, sir. He said, why are you here? I said, well, sir, I, I don't know. So in all honesty, he said, all right, we'll talk about that. And the next day I get call from the chief of staff of the 2nd Infantry Division and goes, uh, you need to come over to my office. I want to talk to you right now. We're going to straighten this whole thing up. And and now, 2nd Infantry Division, there was, uh, at that time, there was one, two, three, four, five infantry battalions. The only, there was one that was the only one north of the Indian River actually up on the DMZ permanently. That was 506. I was like, God, that's where I want to go, you know. So he calls me to the office and goes, Lieutenant Ward, where'd you go to college? I said, uh, sir, I'm a graduate of the city. He goes, so am I. Where do you want to go? I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is actually happening. And I said, sir, I want to go north of the engine river to the, to Camp Greaves. So be able to find those things. He said, you got it. So you just do this Hell silly yeah. little job for the next month and we'll get you up there. And they did. Kept their word. They they kept the word. They took me up north of the Imjin River, uh, across Freedom Bridge, up to Camp Greaves to 1st Battalion, 506 Infantry, Stanzalone, Curry, you know, Band of Brothers Regiment. Yeah. That's just the coolest thing. And I get up yeah. there in the middle of the night again, and there's no lights up there at all. Zippo. And uh, they, they, they dump me off at this uh, Quonset hut from the 50s. I mean, it seems old. Guy goes, here you are, Lieutenant. Uh, it's, uh, you know, dumps me off, and I get in there, I open the door, and there's just nut craziness going. All these lieutenants run around wreaking havoc inside this hooch. And I get in there, and so they were, they were full lieutenants at the time, so I had to go be on S4 staff uh, while I waited yeah. for a platoon to open up, which was, I didn't even, I knew kind of what S4 was, but I didn't. that's really just stuck me until a platoon opened up. And so, for another couple months, I was the assistant, the assistant S4. Like I said, we were overwhelmed in lieutenants. But finally, platoon opened up, Charlie Company, Hard Rock Charlie. And uh, I got to go there and become the second platoon leader. 
And I actually took over the platoon on the first day of a field exercise called Team Spirit. But I got up there when we were still on DMZ security mission. I'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah, so I became a platoon leader. And, uh, you know, it was the fulfillment of everything. I was just in my glory up there. I loved it was a light infantry battalion. I loved being a platoon leader. And I did a good job. You know, I've already talked about my platoon sergeant. Did such a good job. They, they made me the company XO after about, I was thinking just five months as a platoon leader. And then they made me a company XO over some of the first lieutenants. And I, I was like, huh, I felt, felt bad, but hey, whatever. So sure. anyway, so up there, so I guess you, you want to hear about the security mission and the tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a so, lot of people don't know. like what, I'll what, talk the tiger stuff. What type talk, of mission that you guys are actually running up there? Like, okay, what was day-to-day -day ops like? Now, okay. I don't think they do it. I don't, th I don't think they do it up there anymore because I think that mission has all been switched to the South Korean Army completely. But back in the 80s, we had a sector of the DMZ that was American. And so we actually owned Freedom Bridge to get over there. Uh, and their Camp Reeves. Then next to Camp Reeves was a place called Warrior Base where the other infantry battalions were rotated up for their three-month stay up on the DMZ to do a security mission while we would go train. But we did the winter months. Um, so the DMZ security mission uh, back then, and I don't know when it stopped for the U.S. portion of it. Maybe, it maybe I think, uh, in the early 2000s, they stopped it maybe because of the war. Well, I don't know. I just don't know when the date was. But back in the 80s, you know, especially when we were on the DMZ security mission, we, we uh, always commanded Freedom Bridge. We always had a platoon running Freedom Bridge. But inside the demilitarized zone itself, so we had uh, two platoon strong points. One was Guard Post Olet. One was Guard Post Collier. Then we had the South Barrier Fence. Now, in the DMZ itself, there are no fences in in between North and South Korea. There's just little MDL markers every 100 meters. Now there's a fence to get into the DMZ, but once you're in there, it's it's open. And so lane navigation is very important in there because when you go over that MDL, not a good thing. Um, but it's 2,000 meters wide. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had 2,000 meters wide of space. I forget how, how long our sector was, but we had two pretty nice sized guard posts in there, platoon strong points. So we manned the guard posts. We had a quick reaction force mission. So one company would be on guard post, one company would be on patrol, and one company uh, would be on quick reaction force. And so and then we would rotate during three or four months you're doing the security mission. Every company would get to do a different mission. So I think, uh, one, uh, you know, you start off on the guard posts and, uh, and so the guard posts were very interesting. They're platoon strong points. One of them is surrounded on three sides by North Korea. That's a OLED, I believe it was. And then Collier is about a thousand meters inside our, our part of the MDL. All very dangerous situations. They get concrete reinforced trench systems and pillboxes, chain link fences over the trenches and stuff like that. And they used to actually take mine detectors and uh, mine sweep the dirt roads leading up to the uh, uh, to the uh, guard posts every day because, you know, there were instances where North Koreans would try to plant landmines uh, in, in the road systems there or, or other kind of stupid things that they like to play around doing. Yeah. Also, uh, so the quick reaction force mission, if something happened, we had a company uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, completely dressed in uniform, living in a special barracks. 
the trucks with all the weapons, ammos, and stuff like that, and the sandbag bottoms and stuff, and they were ready to go at a moment's notice and, and go to a battle position or whatever needed to happen to reinforce whatever you need to do with a combat-ready company right away. And then the patrolling company would be um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you would have uh, uh, reconnaissance patrols going out during the daytime, and you're mostly reconning, reconning for your ambush position that night. And then at night, you'd go out on your ambush and lay out your claymores and, and set up the ambush. Now, we did it in the wintertime, so it was extremely brutally cold. And I used to feel so bad for the soldiers having to set, you know, put those claymores out with those uh, uh, Arctic mittens on. Not an easy task to do that. No way. Um, yeah. But uh, so, you know, those are the day-to-day -day operations when you're on the DMZ security mission. So, like, when we were done with our portion from, I guess it was November through March, um, another battalion would come up from uh, down south, and they would occupy Warrior Base, which was the tent city near us. And then they would, and you'd do a battle handover. Uh, it was very well orchestrated, and we had to certify patrol leaders and so forth and so on. And then it was a smooth transfer between the two battalions, and we would go into high-op tempo training, uh, uh, in, in Korea and do our typical training mission, but we still always had our mission. If the balloon went up that we had to fly back in to do what we needed to do for certain things. And we were still manning freedom bridge. That was our battalions all the time. So there were a lot of interesting things. Now, I, I know a lot of people talk a lot of smack, but I, there were no firefights there when I was there other than the South Koreans did. I mean, every now and then they, they would engage in, a, and they weren't big affairs, but I do recall one night there was a South Korean guard post near one of our guard posts that lit up a North Korean guard post. And, and what was funny, I don't know if it was funny, but the next day um, I saw they relieved that South Korean company off that guard post. And these guys were, this is in the wintertime, and it's below zero outside. And they had no shirts, no T-shirts on, just their trousers and boots. They were running them down the MSR, and their NCOs were hitting them with sticks and yelling at them, blah, blah, blah. They replaced that whole unit. I don't know what caused whatever happened up there, but uh, it was interesting. But, no, we, we, we were never involved in any kind of incident. The only thing that I was close to anything was when I was commander of Freedom Bridge, we had a little bit of a tussling match with actually the South Korean Army on, on Freedom Bridge at Huh. time because pictures were taken they weren't supposed to happen and it, I, everything was done by the rules but um but i think you want to talk about the tiger too right yeah let's hear about the tiger okay so the tiger in the dmd is sort of like bigfoot in the united states there are believers and non-believers <laughs> i'm telling you there's tigers there okay sounds like so right. okay there's there's people out there you know just like they, they, they there are no tigers, but there was a, uh, a National Geographic thing, a magazine spread on wildlife in, in South Korea, and they say there's tigers out there. And I know there's tigers out there because one night I saw it on a on a FLIR. <laughs> you know, we had to go get some uh, injured soldier off of a patrol in the middle of the night, and and I heard a little purring, and I looked out there, and I saw that sucker. That's proof number one. Proof number two. Um, somebody actually videotaped the tiger behind guard post. There's a little pond behind guard post. 
and somebody on the guard post got a videotape, you know, the old VCR tapes, got a videotape yeah. of the thing killing a deer and dragging it off. And so Dang. that was proof that that's sort of like the uh, famous Bigfoot film of Patterson and Gimlet. You know, yeah. we got yeah, the yeah. proof. We got it on film. And people were like, that's not a tiger. I'm like, what else would it be to, to drag off a deer like that? So we had that VCR tape, and I saw that tape. And then proof three was another platoon leader from our uh, battalion. He was the commander of guard post Collier, and he swears up and down the tiger got inside the guard post. Up and down oh. swing. Everybody's like, you're nuts. You're not. Um, but he was saying, it. Did. he actually was so convinced he found the footprints and he took pancake mix. You know, <laughs> like the footprints of Bigfoot? He took oh, yeah. pancake mix out there and was pouring them on these footprints to prove that they were tiger paw prints. But that pancake mix isn't the best solution for that, I don't think. Didn't do so well <laughs> with it. But to this day, he swears to God it was in the guard post. So, you know, my my opinion is that there, I saw it on a FLIR, I saw the film, and I believe that platoon leader had it, they, uh, but didn't maul anybody. And I, and I remember one time, we were, when, before a patrol would go out, we'd have to do an inspection. You always inspect where you go out on patrol. And I was doing it. I remember one of the soldiers said, Lieutenant, I, I got a question. I said, what is it? He goes, uh, yeah, I don't want to get eaten by a tiger out there. <laughs> I was like, man, man. The tiger can only get one of you. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Don't true. worry about the tiger out there. We'll shoot it if it drags off into the weeds. Don't worry about it. You can only get one of you. Might be you. But it might not be you. So Don't worry about it. You need to worry about you know the other stuff that you got to do out there. So, you know, the, the DMZ back in the 80s and early 90s, that was kind of like the only action in town. Uh, so yeah. to speak. And so, you know, that's why I wanted to go there. And yeah, I, I get it. I, and I know it's not what guys have been doing for the last 20 years. And I would never, ever claim that. No way. But at the time, it's what we had, you know. And and so, I, I, you know, most guys wanted to go there if they could. If they were going to go to Korea and they were in the infantry, they wanted to go up to uh, that battalion up there and, and be part of that. And it was pretty neat. It was a it was kind of like a we were kind of like a little foreign legion post by ourselves out there. Our battalion commander was he was the commander of the post, and it's kind of like a throwback to the old army too because we even had a um, an officer's closed mess, which is like pre World War II stuff. Uh, right. We had our own little mess with a bar and stuff like that, and uh, so it, it was kind of like in a weird way, it's going back into time and a different time. Yeah, uh, and and doing things differently. We even had company. We didn't have battalion or brigade messels. We had company messels. You know, you had your own company cooks. It was like oh, the wow. old army. You know, and, you know. So so the headquarters platoon in each company had cooks, and we had our own company chow halls. And so it was a very intimate, and it was a very um, it was a competition who had the best chow hall of all the <laughs> companies. And so we had. Uh, uh, headquarters company had a chow hall. Alpha company had a chow hall. Uh, Charlie, well, Alpha company was in another camp by themselves. They were on actually a uh, company camp up next to Camp Boniface, or where the joint security area is up at Pam and John. They had a chow hall. We did, uh, uh, and uh, CSE company had their own chow hall. So it, it was like a throwback to the old army, uh, which was uh, pretty cool. So 
to me, it was a very special time. And, and when we got, when I got back stateside, the, the army stateside was so different that, you know, we kind of did our own things in Korea, the way we wanted to do them. But back when I got stateside, there were rules again. And yeah. so yeah. you had to get used to, you know, playing the, playing the army game instead of, sure. the, I mean, uh, you know, we do things the way we want to do them here. It's, it's the yeah, same thing. It's, it's the same thing. Uh, when, when I was in, you know, he deployed and it could be the worst, well, the, you know, the old saying the best of times are the worst of times because it, it, it just being deployed, the whole idea of being deployed was way better than when you got back to stateside and it's all yeah. the OPRs, EPRs, doing all the training, doing all, yeah. getting all the, the bullshit done. And then you're like, can I just go back and just do my job flying airplanes? <laughs> and you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, but cool. yeah. Hey, Wally, fantastic story. Uh, uh, Facebook kicks us off after we go on for a little bit too, uh, longer than oh, 120. No, 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 it's fine. We're, good, we're, we still, we're at 118. We're at 118. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, obviously it's something that we don't think about, but I, I'm going to say I'm jealous, man. That sounds like it was a really, really cool uh, experience uh, and, and given my age now and all my responsibilities, I would kill to go to the DMZ right now. I mean, it sounds like a lot more immersive. There's a lot more. Hey, I'm the funny thing. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, you're a lot more what? Oh, I was saying it's just, no, it's, it sounds like what? a lot more, immer, a lot more immersive. It, it's a lot more uh, in, for the lack of better terms, intimate, I guess, when it comes to being, a part of the military, especially the oh, unit yeah. that you're a part of, it just—that's what it sounds like. It's today. It's it was different. Everybody had high. Everybody had high end tights there. It was PT. Everybody was into PT. Everybody had high end tights. I mean, it was like a very uh, overly motivated unit. You know, we yeah, got it was about, stuff it was before every other about unit you guys. in the army got stuff. So yeah. yeah, it was literally you guys as a group yeah. versus now in the military. It's. It's kind of the individual. The individual, yeah. Or, it's no yeah. longer the. It's I've seen it quite a few times. I still see it at Lejeune, as you get groups of Marines. It's like it's literally about the one person, two person, little groups. It's no longer about the unit, the company, battalion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So definitely, a time, definitely time, a time change. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, Wally, really, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories. Uh, I'm sure the the Reverend Warriors appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories, and and I'm Kevin paper, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's literally three doors up here. Yeah. But. We know Kevin stalks him all the time, <laughs> but I mean, Hey, no, it's important because we reach all veterans of all different, uh, experiences. Areas, yeah. And yeah, I mean, we got our desert war, a desert storm guys. we got our post Vietnam guys. we got our Vietnam guys. Yeah. And, uh, all these stories need to be told because you know, we all, we all gave up a little something to everybody. Every single person who signed the the paperwork is is writing a blank check and it doesn't matter what you did it's the fact that you had the gumption to actually do yep. it where a lot of people didn't so wally i really really appreciate your time uh on here and uh your service does not go unnoticed never um you know just you're, you're cool. part of the brotherhood it's all about getting get, just getting that voice out there man. all right man thanks a happen. lot I, I i know i talk too much about it i love it no, 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 you're good, no, man. It's awesome. That's yeah. that's the whole point of this is to show to be able to voice how proud you are with what you've been through, what you've done, and and then that's what we that's what Kevin does. But you know, riding his bike across the country and <laughs> and for what I do, not just the organization, but as a jarhead myself, and and we're able to do that on this platform in the organization. So that's literally what this is about. So yeah, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Wally, and you have a good night. 
Roger, you too. Good night, guys. All take right. you take care, care, buddy. Well, folks, that is the 21 Gun Podcast for this week. Next week we have, I don't even remember now at this point, we had somebody. We, who do we have coming on next week? Polly's Push. Polly. Yep. Polly's Push is going to be on next week. Um, beyond that, uh, uh, call, write, get in touch with people that you served with. That's the whole point of this thing is, is you, can't, you can't sit quietly. You have to keep in touch and you have to uh, call up your, your people. Even if they get annoyed by it, do it anyways because you never know when you're going to uh, reach out and save someone's life. So um, have a good hike at Atlantic Beach this weekend, and we will see you guys next weekend. Take care, guys.